0: Leah and Zachary, thank you so much for sharing that song with us. What a great reminder, Uh, all the music has been this morning, of just how good the Lord is to us and how we're to submit and just enjoy the blessings of uh, the gift of the church and His word and and all of that. That's what we're going to continue to do this morning. Before we get into the message, I want to introduce you uh, to a family. They've been with us before, but... Uh, Jeremy and Crystal Nelson are with us. They serve as IMB missionaries right here. If you guys would maybe throw a hand up, I said it wouldn't make you do anything, but that's making you do something. But uh, yeah, we, we're always glad when we have uh, people that we support through our cooperative program giving and our uh, Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering. I have Annie on my head, on my mind, but. Lottie Moon Christmas offering, all of our gifts that we give through the CP and through Lottie Moon go to help the Nelsons do and others like them, 4,000 plus others, do what they do uh, serving the churches of the Southern Baptist Convention, taking the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. And what that means is is the kingdom of God is expanding and the glory of God is doing likewise. And so thank you guys for doing what you do and I'm glad you have a little R&R. I know that probably a furlough time is not always true R&R, you're doing training, different things like that. Visiting churches and sharing the stories, and so I appreciate you guys being here this morning. And we want to, hopefully, at the end of the service, we, we can pray for you guys before we before we leave. But you're here with your family, right? Yeah, over there. Okay. Well, we thank you guys for what you do. They serve. I didn't say this, but they serve in Madrid, Spain, and they work with the America Peoples. And so you didn't probably didn't know this, but there's a large uh, just movement of people from Central and South America that are going to Europe and Spain in general. And so they go there, and so we can take. Our, our, our members, our team members, and send them uh, to places around the globe and they reach people from the other parts of the globe. And so It's a really neat thing. I know that when we had a partnership in Barcelona uh, we interacted with people who were working with the same affinity group that you were working with among others and so it's super exciting. Uh, all the things that the Lord allows us to do through our partnership with the IAB. So thank you for being here this morning. There's one other thing I wanted to do before we get into the message and so maybe look at this as commercial uh, on, on some level. But I just want to throw two things out to you this morning. It's summertime. What a great attendance for uh, July, second Sunday of July. Uh, so, man, you're to be commemorated. I know some of you are going on vacation. My family and I are leaving tomorrow to go to Myrtle Beach. Uh, so we'll be gone this week. But uh, as you're vacationing and doing what you do doing during summy, thank you for not neglecting the gathering of the church. But two things I just kind of want to put on your radar as we move to the end of this church year. Our church year runs September, Through August. And so, as we near the ending of this church year and the beginning of a new one, here's two thoughts I want you to think about and pray through. First one would be just the idea of uh, moving to two services. We've thrown that out there. We've said our initial plan is to move to two services after Labor Day, and so I just want you to begin to think through that, pray through that. What does that mean for your family? What does it mean for maybe the service you're going to go to? Uh, We will have an early service, small group, and then a late service, and so we would really love to see a hundred people move to that first service, that AM service. good thing about that is you beat everybody to the restaurant after small group, and so just think along those lines. But not just that, pray and and think uh, about what that means for you and your family in the way of service Uh, we need more volunteers in our children's ministry, we need more volunteers in hospitality, Uh, we need more volunteers in even our tech stuff because you know this is going to be a a doubling of everything that we do on a weekly basis and so think and pray along those lines. The second thought I want to throw out there is just the idea of more. You know as our church continues to grow and look around this is a Sunday morning attendance and we're pretty full here we just dumped 30, 40 kids to kids church and so Uh, Most of the seats are full, at least on this side. I don't think you guys showered as much on this side this morning. Everybody's drifting to my left. But strong attendance. So as our church continues to grow, the needs in our church continue to grow. And so we just want to throw that, that term, that word out there for you. It's like, what does it mean for you? When it comes to more, we need, we have more people coming, which means more people joining, more people coming to the Lord, more people being baptized. That means we need more small groups. We need more volunteers. We need more children's workers. We need more hospitality people. So how can you serve more? Expenses also go up. And so what does that mean for you? How can you give more in the next year? Here's, here's something that we really have as a need. As we look to a new budget, we really need to continue to do ministry on the optimal level, full capacity. We need to increase our budget $75,000 to $100,000 this next year. You said, that's monumental. How could we ever do that? I just want to put something out there. If you were here with us four years ago, five years ago, 2017, 2018, when we began to cast vision for building a building, renovating the space we're in, we were looking at a hefty, hefty uh, project financially and many people might have thought not many people said it many people probably thought we can't do that we're a country church and yet the Lord has done incredible things we paid for half of that nearly in cash right up front because our people you heard from the Lord and gave him a response to that so as we throw that need out there it seems lofty and yet the Lord can do it it's just will we be willing to do that so what does more look like for you In the area of service, in the area of giving, uh, definitely in the area of the opportunities we have before us, more and more and more are awaiting us. So I want you to just kind of hear those things here in the early part of July as we ramp up to a new church year. Take your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to get there in a few minutes. But that's going to be the passage we look at. Here's just a full disclosure this morning. I'm not preaching through a particular passage. That's the one we're going to reference the most. But as you know, as we're working through this doctrinal series, this doctrinal study on the church, uh, most of the time I'm not going to be able to preach from one text. I want to do that. That's, I think, the best way to preach. But when you're doing doctrinal, we're looking at the whole gamut of Scripture, what it says about a particular subject. And this morning, we're speaking about membership in the church. So we're going to look at Matthew 16. We're going to look at other passages of Scripture. But we're not going to exhaustively walk through one particular set of verses. Hear this statement this morning as we get started. If you call yourself a Christian, but you're not a member of the church that you regularly attend, you might be going to hell. Now, that's not a Jeff Foxworthy type of joke, right? You might be a regular. But I want you to hear that statement. If you're regularly attending a church and you're calling yourself a Christian, but you're not a member of it, you might be going to hell. Y'all awake this morning? Here's what I probably know about you, or at least some of you. You thought about dozing off? You thought about kind of daydreaming your way through today's sermon. Your mind might have already been drifting off in that direction. Hopefully it's not a weekly thing, but you saw the the, the subject on the bulletin this morning. You thought, man, I can set this one out. It's on membership. And so I hope that statement kind of jostled you into some sort of coherence this morning to think about the audacity of the guy standing on the stage that could make the accusation or make the relation between membership and salvation so if you're daydreaming this morning to wake up, pay attention. I think we have something that we can take home with us, something that's going to set with us, something that's going to mean something to us today. When you think about membership, if membership is just you coming into the fellowship of the church and now you no longer can park in guest parking, now you got to find a place to serve. Now you've got to financially support the church. Then I might be with you on the daydreaming. I'll just set this one out. I'll coast through this service because I'm not for that. If membership is a name on a, a roll sheet and that's pretty much all that there is, then I too would think about dozing off and checking out this morning. But here's what I want you to know this morning. Membership in the church is so much more than that it's so much more than your name on a roll it's so much more than you having an obligation to do something and so we're going to look at that this morning mark dever is the one who made the statement that i just began with and he uses this statement oftentimes when he's speaking in certain contexts because he wants them to see the the necessity and the veracity what it means to be a member of a church He wants those who call themselves Christ followers to urgently see the need for a healthy local church in a Christian's life and and to begin to share that passion for the church with others. He wants Christians today to see the beauty and the necessity of church membership. Why is that? It's because the Bible would have us to see that. The Bible would have us to see the importance of church membership. And that's our objective this morning. Last Sunday... We established that the common word for church in the Greek New Testament is that famous word that you've heard many times, the word ekklesia. It means literally the called out ones. According to John Hammett, the term, listen to this, it's found 114 times in the New Testament. Three of these uses refer to a secular assembly and two refer to the Old Testament people of God. It would refer to Israel. And so that leaves 109 other references throughout the New Testament, and all of them describe the church. It describes the church from a universal sense, and it also describes the church in a local sense. The writers use this term, ecclesia, to refer to these two sins, and yet the focus seems to be not on the universal, but on the local. The local church that's gathered in a specific place with a specific group of believers. So the church universal, what is that? That's the collection of Christians, past, present, and future, who are comprising the kingdom of God. And so today, those of us who know Jesus this morning, sitting in this room, listening to us online, those of us who know Jesus, we're part of the universal church, and though, which includes those that we read about in the word of God. It's those we would read about in church history. It's also those who are not alive today, but will come in the future. The ones that are our grandkids, childrens, if the Lord tarries, that hear the gospel and believe the gospel, they too will be part of the church universal. We find a glorious picture of the church universal in Revelation chapter 7. I want you to hear these famous words from the Apostle John as he describes what he saw at the Eschaton. He says in verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude... That no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's coming a day that you and I will gather with Christians past, present, and future, and we will be before the Lamb of God, and we will say that salvation belongs to our God. That's the church universal. And we're a part of that church. You find that church depicted throughout the Bible. And yet, as I said, the most common portrayal of the church in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, is the local assembly of believers that's there in a specific location. We Read through the New Testament of the 21 letters or epistles that are in the New Testament. Listen to this. 13 of them were addressed to local churches. The others were written to individual believers or groups of believers, but all of them were known to be members of local churches. Here's some examples Timothy pastored the church in Ephesus. Titus pastored the church in Crete. Philemon was a member of the church in Colossae. Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians, and the writer commanded them there in Hebrews chapter 10 to not forsake the assembly of the brethren. We're going to look at that passage next Sunday as we talk about attendance in the church. James was the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. Peter wrote to the church members who had fled their hometowns because of persecution. Likewise, John wrote those three epistles that we call the pastoral epistles. He wrote to individual believers who were members of local church. And Jude, who was also half-brother Jesus, addressed believers in an unknown local church that seemed to be largely comprised of Jewish believers. All of these books, all of these writings that we have in the New Testament are written to local churches. Do you see the priority that the Word of God places on the local church? And so this focus here on the local church reminds us that the kingdom of God is not a futuristic theory. It is a present day reality. As we sit here and as we gather together weekly on Sundays and Wednesdays and other times of the week that we do things as a church, that is the kingdom of God in reality in present day. Last Sunday we discussed mission in the church. We discovered that the church is an embassy of Christ's kingdom. It serves as a sovereign outpost there in a foreign land. It is locally made up of individual believers who are Christ's ambassadors serving as sovereign representatives of one nation to another nation. That's how we ought to view ourselves. As a local church, we are an embassy of Christ right here where we sit on Tower Hill in Powhatan, Virginia, and we set as a light to the nation and to the nation's. And individually, each one of us are ambassadors, sovereign representatives of the king, so that wherever we go, where we live and where we work and we play, we are representing King Jesus, expanding his kingdom, and that happens locally. So for us, those of us who want to know what God's word says and those of us who want to take God's word and obey it, the Bible's focus on the church and the people who comprise it, it focuses and it forces us to consider two things first we need to ask the question what is church membership you've been through connections class with me over the last six seven years we talk about that we discuss that issue but if you were here prior to that perhaps you haven't taken that question and wrestled with it very much recently biblically speaking church membership is the natural outcome of the gospel Saving us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son. Now, unfortunately, many Christians view church membership as joining another social club. That's why we view church membership. It's just like if you're joining an HOA, if you're joining the, the, uh, the, the Masons or the, the Lodge, the Moose Lodge, or anything like that. It's, it's some sort of social organization. The reason we may approach it from that perspective is because the term we use is a social term. The English language is not being friendly to us here. So when we say church membership, we think of membership as if we're joining a club. It's voluntary. But the word of God would not lead us to that, that, uh, that conclusion. It, it, it assumes membership is a priority. It assumes membership is to be part of the Christian's experience with other believers. Not find the term church membership in the New Testament. You ever done an exhaustive search of your New Testament looking for church membership? You're not going to find it. Some of you would take that and argue against what I'm saying this morning. You would say because church membership is not explicitly said and a prescription of how one becomes a church member is not laid out before us, then it can't be part of the Christian experience and a requirement in the Christian's life. I would argue against that clubs and organizations begin with a point of common interest or they begin with a service to be provided and membership and involvement as i said earlier is voluntary and yet churches would have all of that no one's making you be here this morning right i, I didn't come to your house with uh, weapons and say if you're not in ch- now i feel like doing that sometimes but <laughs> i don't come to your house i'm gonna send the elders to your house or our- that'd be a good idea for deacons you know ministry team led by deacons that we could just kind of dispatch them to go and get some of y'all. It's not y'all. It's those other people that are our members who are not coming. You guys are good. But we could send them. But that's not what we do, right? It's voluntary. So we have the aspects of a social club per se. And yet, church membership is so much more. It's more than that. You see, King Jesus requires the obedience of his people. And so he's commanding us and commissioning us as a church to be a part of a church. When you become a Christian, it is expected, it is assumed that you would be part of a local church. He expects his subject to participate together as citizens of his kingdom, expressed through the local embassies. Now, this concept is not foreign to us as Americans. Think about this. In every nation where the U.S. State Department has an embassy, it has a representation of the nation of the United States. right? It has an ambassador there who is dispatched by the president and the State Department to represent the U.S. government in a foreign nation. Likewise, the U.S. citizens that are living in that particular nation, all of them would relate to the embassy as the local expression of the greater nation. They're not in America, but there's a presence of America in that country. Do you follow the logic? And so as we think about the local church, there's a whole lot of similarities to an embassy. There's community even in a foreign land. You Read through the Bible. You'll never find the concept that I will describe as Lone Rangerism anywhere in Scripture. As I was writing my dissertation several years ago, I was doing one of the chapters this on the biblical theological argument for small groups or community. And so I began to look at the scriptures and do an exhaustive search. And what I found is, is that community that we find in the Bible, what we would call biblical community, starts in the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, in community with, with one another. And then God creates a creation, and specifically humanity, to reflect that. And so the community that we're called to in the local church is now the redeemed expression of the community that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit experiences and enjoys every single day. There's no concept of lone rangerism, isolationism. Instead, all throughout the canon of Scripture, what we find is God's people in covenant community with one another. In the Old Testament, the picture is Israel and the Jewish face. In the New Testament, it's the local church. And in both, God's people are portrayed collectively as citizens of the kingdom. And today we live in the age of the church. So we ask, what is church membership? Second question we want to ask is, what is a church member? Jonathan Lehman, in his book, Church membership, which I would compel you to read, uh, says this. He says a church member is a person who has been officially and publicly recognized as a Christian before the nations, as well as someone who shares in the same authority of officially affirming and overseeing other Christians in his or her church. Lehman's definition here is presupposing something that I think we need to point out from the outset. It's presupposing this idea of regenerate church membership. You say, what in the world does that term mean? Regenerate. Regenerate. Be made alive again. So it... It's talking about the fact that the church is not made up of a bunch of people who want to be a part of the Christian social club. It's made up of people who were dead in sins and trespasses. Then they heard the gospel and in faith and repentance came to believing faith in Jesus Christ. Lives have been transformed. Now, those who were once not a people have been made a people. And that people is the body of Christ, the church. So that's what church membership is. That's what a church member is. It's a person who has turned from his or her sin and turned to Christ in faith and repentance all for the forgiveness of sin and a new life. It's the local church then who comes alongside and affirms one's confession of faith as being credible. You see, the local church possesses the keys of the kingdom. We're going to get to Matthew 16 in just a moment. If you've already there, you've looked ahead and you've seen that statement. That the keys of the kingdom were going to be given to Peter and those who followed him. And so the local church is the one who possesses the keys of the kingdom. Not from the sense of conveying salvation upon someone, but from the sense of formally recognizing salvation in the person. Let's look at what Jesus says to Peter. Matthew chapter 16, begin reading in verse 16. Now, let me just set the stage here. If you're not familiar with this text and what's going on here, uh, Jesus and the 12 disciples are in a place, northern Israel, called Caesarea Philippi. Wicked, wicked place. I've shared about this before, showing you pictures of what was happening there as far as idolatry and the worship that was taking place there. Just wicked, wicked stuff. Child sacrifice, all of that. Jesus takes his disciples up there, and he has a purpose, as he always did. And so he begins by asking them, who do the people say that I am? And they kind of begin to, well, some say you're a Jeremiah, some say you're a great teacher, some say you're another prophet, you know, just giving different answers that they've heard from uh, people within the, the nation of Israel. And then Jesus turns the question and focuses it on them. And he says, who do you say that I am? And look what he says, Peter says in verse 16, he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is the first of two times that Jesus used the word ecclesia, the word church. Peter had given his great confession of faith, as I said, and in response to Jesus' question of who in the disciples believed him to be, he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, blessed are you. You didn't come to this conclusion on your own, but the Father in heaven has led you to this place. And so on this confession, I'm going to build my Church. See, the church is not built on words, and the church is not built on people. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. And so, what is the church built upon? It's built on people who believe the right gospel words. When he asks the question, Who do you say that I am? And who do the people say that I am? And there's all kinds of conclusions, and yet Peter says the right thing. He gives the gospel and he says, You're the Christ, you're the Son of the Living God. And Jesus affirms that and says, That's correct. And on this confessional statement. On this understanding of the gospel, the church will be burst, Not just burst. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That means the church is going to be able to grow. They're going to be able to bring in members and dispel members. There's the keys and the authority of heaven. They're de- giving them the ability to declare on earth who is a kingdom citizen and therefore representing heaven. Effectively, this is the authority to receive and dismiss members because their profession and their testimony bear witness of their citizenship or the lack of citizenship in heaven. The second time Jesus, is, Jesus uses the word church is found two chapters later, in Matthew chapter eighteen verses fifteen through twenty. Jesus is again speaking with his disciples and he begins to describe a brother whose sinful lifestyle was out of step with his. Confession, Four rounds of confrontation are prescribed by the Lord to win this brother back. He says, first of all, he says, if your brother has sinned, you go to him and confront him. If he doesn't repent, if he doesn't change his way, take another brother with you. And on and on and on. And then the final step is if there's still no repentance, bring him before the church. And let the church decide. Let the church declare him to not represent the kingdom of God. Of heaven. You see, the idea here is that if the man confesses his sin, and you've regained your brother back. His confession of faith regains its credibility, and the confrontation ceases at, at that moment. Why? Because his life now in repentance matches his confession, and now he is once again representing Jesus rightly. But if he doesn't confess his sin, and if he doesn't repent of his sin, if he's not willing to turn from that, if he's persisting in that then the local church ultimately has heaven's authority to declare on earth that the man's life does not represent Christ in his kingdom. And the reason for that is because his life doesn't match his confession and he's not representing Jesus rightly. And So membership in that moment is stripped and he's treated as if he's an unbeliever. The overarching point in all of this that I want you to see and that I want to highlight is the role of the local church. So as we're talking about church, we can't see it from the grand view of church universal past, present, and future. We glory in Revelation 7 that one day we will universally stand before the throne and declare his glory. But this morning we need to understand that the New Testament's focus And the primary way that it speaks of the church is always in a local context. Just as the U.S. Embassy has the authority to recognize one's citizenship in a foreign land, the local church has heaven's authority and responsibility to recognize one's profession of faith on earth. You see, church membership is a declaration of citizenship in Christ's kingdom. You might think of it as a passport of sorts. I got a passport here, if I can get it out of my pocket. U.S. passport. It's got a few stamps in it. And so when I'm traveling abroad, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to get back into America. You know why? Because I got this baby, right? I got this right here that says that I'm an American citizen and I have the right to re-enter this country. And that's a glorious thing, right? Because I don't want to get stuck abroad. I don't want to get stuck in a land without citizenship. I don't want to get stuck in in a land where I don't have a people. And I don't have a system of government that's going to work for me. And so this is my way to get back into the nation. It's my way to represent the nation in which I reside. When we think about membership, it is sort of like a passport. It's an announcement also in the press room of the kingdom. It's the declaration that you're an official, licensed, card-carrying, fide representative of Jesus. And so upon this foundation of membership in the church, there are four biblical perspectives that I want to just quickly, if I can, share with you this morning. You might be wondering... If membership is the natural outcome of the gospel, then why is it not explicitly mentioned or explicitly displayed in the New Testament? I would push back and say it absolutely is. They just don't use the word church membership. And so the first perspective I want you to see this morning is this idea of membership records. Reading through the New Testament, we see records of members being part of a local church. You see, when you... Read your Bible. Maybe you've been looking for this. As you read through your Bible, you're not going to see the the command like you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet your neighbor's property. You're not going to see the commandment in Scripture, you shall join the church. But you're going to see whole lots of other ideas that would compel you or should compel you to join the church. And one of those is this clear record of membership within the local church church throughout the New Testament. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, we find a chronicling of the launching of the church there in Jerusalem. Now, what happened in Acts chapter 2? Jesus told the disciples, those 120 believers at the time, maybe it expanded to 500 or so as he was ascending to the Father. But as he's out there giving what we would call the Great Commission, looked at that last Sunday, he tells them to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Ten days later... Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter begins to preach the gospel. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that 3,000 people were added to the church. Now, how do we know that 3,000 were added to the church? You think Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, he's just coming up with random thoughts? Well, it was probably about 3,000 was he speaking ministerially like we would speak today? Yeah, man. At the men's conference the other day, we had like 300 men there. There was probably 150. You know, that's the way we count today in ministry. We add a certain percentage just to cover the basis for all the ones we missed, right? No, that's not what's happening. We, we got to believe that as Luke is writing down, 3,000 were added to the church. That means that someone was keeping a record. You've got Joe that came to faith in Christ as he heard the gospel in his own language, and now he's a repentant believer there in the Jerusalem church. And you've got Stacy there who heard the gospel as well, and now she's in the church. And someone took record of that and wrote it down. Someone was counting. Someone was keeping a record. In addition, the 3,000 Christians didn't just get baptized never to show up in church again. How do we know that? Because as we continue to read in the Second chapter of the book of Acts, we see that they're setting under the apostles' teaching. They're gathering together there in the temple courts to hear the teaching of the apostles, to pray together, to fellowship together, to observe the Lord's Supper together. And so they were participating in the local church. They were acting like the body of Christ, ministering to one another and carrying out the ordinances of the church. And because of that, the chapter ends in verse 47 telling us that. People continue to come to the Lord and be added to the role of the church day by day. Membership records tells us that someone was keeping watch on who was in the church and who was still not a part of the church. Let's take it a step further. The records continue as we move through the New Testament. We move into the fourth chapter of this book here in Acts. And we see that at this point, and we don't know exactly how much Further into the future, it was from Acts 2, but at some point, rather quickly, the church went from, let's say, 3,500 people to now 5,000 men, probably at least 5,000 women, maybe some children that have come to the Lord. So now the church is is 10,000 plus members. And so how does that happen? How do we know that it's happening? Because someone was keeping a record. Someone was knowing what was going on. We moved to Acts chapter 6, and we learn of a list of Hellenistic widows, Greek-speaking Greek widows in the church who needed ministry. They knew who these people were. They knew their names. They knew what was going on in their lives. And, and so the church then selected seven men that we see as first men who would model the, the, the office of deacon. All of this because they were keeping records. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we see there that Paul's commanding the church in Corinth to remove a particular man who is living in open, unrepentant sexual sin. And this is what he says in verse 2. Let him who has done this be removed from you. Paul's instruction to remove this man from their presence, from their body, presupposes that he was a member of that body, that he was a member of that church. You see, you can't remove a person... From membership who's not a member you could ask an attender to not come but Paul's not writing to guests he's writing to the church and so this man was a professing believer this man was a card-carrying member of the Corinthian church how do we know that someone kept a record membership is seen in the records kept by the New Testament local churches we could go to other examples but we don't have the time there's a second perspective And that's membership assumptions. Membership is assumed in what we would call the one another commands. There's 46 or so one another commands in the New Testament. Things like pray for one another, submit to one another, uh, serve one another, carry the burdens of another. All of these different commands that we see in the New Testament, comfort one another, So as we study, as we seek to obey these Christian directives, what we discover is that it's impossible to do so without committing yourself to the local church. Uh, That commitment, that membership that we have, that covenant that we make with one another as we join a local church, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position both to receive the comfort from another person and to give it to someone else. So it assumes membership. There's no concept in the Bible of God's people living outside of the community of faith. There's no lone ranger. And so as we look, we see that Israel knew who the members of their tribes were. Read through the book of Ezra, and you understand as the people were coming back from exile, there were some who came to present themselves who couldn't prove their membership of the people of God, and they were denied. So membership is in the Old Testament. Membership is in the New Testament. The local church understood who was Who's, whose were theirs and whose were not there? <clears throat> and we see this assumption uh, of these one another commands propping up and <clears throat> presenting before us this idea of church membership. There's a third perspective. I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> the authors of the New Testament often use strong metaphors to describe the church and its membership. you ever noticed that? you ever notice the metaphors that the New Testament uses? It, it speaks of the church like a body. It speaks of the church like a flock of sheep or branches of a vine or a bride or a temple. a God's building, a people, exiles, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, salt of the earth. It speaks of the church being the Israel of God and the elect lady among all kinds of other word pictures. All of these images, what they do is they bring the reader into the greater picture of the church. It's like flipping through a friend's vacation's, vacation photo album. I don't know if we really know what a photo album is anymore, but for some of you who are old enough, we get the idea. But if some of you are younger, your photo album is your Facebook or what's on your phone. But back in the day when we actually used to uh, develop photos, you would put them in a binder, and then someone would come over to your house, and it's on the coffee table, and they would begin to flip through that. If you just looked at one picture, you don't really have an idea of what happened especially if it's a strange picture. But if you flip through all of the photos, you get a pretty good idea of the greater picture of what that vacation experience is. Several years ago, Karen and I went to Cabo St. Lucas and um, took a bunch of pictures on our phones and stuff like that, and then she paid the money through some sort of company for them to publish that into a little book. We got that in our basement on the coffee table. You can flip through that thing. You can see uh, when we were much lean, <coughs> I was much leaner. Um, Laughter um, total misstep on my part. I was much leaner back then. <clears throat> Man, I'm going to pay for that later. You flip through the book and you see what Cabo Saint Lucas is all about. Images. You know, all of these images that we see in the New Testament present the idea of a single member within a greater membership. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all those members of the body, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, so it is with church. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so as you Hear those words and other metaphors that we see in the New Testament. Do you see this strong sense of community? Do you see this strong call to be part of the body and the building and the temple and the vine? No finger. Think about this using Paul's imagery here. No finger, no spleen exists or thrives on its own. It requires the rest of the body. We got into this discussion. It was amazing how a couple of our small groups are on different curriculum and we were dealing with this issue this morning and I made the illustration, made the point that after shoulder surgery, this, this makes sense to me a little bit more because I haven't been able to lift like I normally would on my right side. And so I go to the gym and everybody looks at me funny because I'm doing everything with the left and legs, right? The right arm is just dangling there like dead weight. And so what happens is is I'm... Basically have my natural strength, my normal strength on every other part of my extremities, left side, legs, and all that, but my right side is weak. And so if I had to carry something with you, number one, it hurt really bad, I'd probably hurt myself, and I'd say no, but if I was to try to do it because I got a weak arm and a strong arm, the body is not as strong. And so we need each other. We need each other. That's what Paul's saying here about the church, where one person, one member among many members, making up one body. And so we see these images of membership in the Bible. Fourth perspective is membership protections. You see, some of the strongest calls for church membership are established in the protections that are found in the New Testament and the teaching that it gives on church discipline. At the foundational level, when we talk about church discipline, it begins with the teaching of the Word of God you having your own personal devotional time in God's word is a part of church discipline you setting under the teaching of God's word is a part of church discipline as you're learning and growing in your understanding and hopefully obedience to God's word uh, on a different level that that church discipline comes as you have submitted yourself to the church as a member among members to discipline coming through accountability discipline coming through sometimes rebuking for sin in your life and as you submit to that, that is part of church discipline. When someone comes to you and, and edifies you says, brother, sister, man, I see Jesus doing work in your life. I see you living out the things of, that we find in the word of God. That is church discipline leading you, encouraging you to growth. If you're not walking in faithfulness and you're not walking in holiness and a brother or sister comes to you and it says, man, what I see in your life is a neglection of the word of God. And so there is accountability and there's rebuking there. That is church discipline. And that is a good thing. That's you understanding, hey, where I'm going, the direction I'm headed is not good. I need to go the other way. Ultimately, church discipline, all the way up to chain, at the end of Matthew 18, that text there, it's the church excommunicating one of its members. Why? Because their practice no longer Gives or bears witness to their profession. In other words, they're professing to know Jesus Christ, but they're denying Christ by the way they live. And so you go through a process of of trying to win that brother back. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 18. You're confronting that sin, and then you confront that sin again with someone else. And ultimately, you bring him, if there's still no repentance, to the church. And if there's no repentance even then, you say, we no longer can recognize you as a brother. Why? Because your profession of faith does not live up to the practice of your life. Therefore, you're not representing the king and his kingdom rightly. And so we can no longer can consider you one of us. So you treat him as an unbeliever. Not in a, in a penal way. It's all in the, in the desire and the hope and the prayerful longing that there would be repentance and restoration. And so there's been times we as a church have had to do that. We do it in love. We do it in humility. We do it in the sense of brokenness. But we do it for the good of the one who is not repented of sin. Therefore, their profession. They say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But if they don't understand their sinfulness and they don't see that their life bears no witness to Jesus Christ, then the scene fast forwards to what we see in Matthew chapter 7 where they would stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, have I not done this? And Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? It's because all they had was a profession of faith without the backing of the practice of their Christian life. And so the church and membership in the church, what that does is when you submit yourself to the body of Christ, you're submitting yourself to a people who love you and want to affirm you and want to encourage you and when needed, give you a swift kick spiritually in the backside. And man, we need that sometimes. We need that sometimes. And so do you see the strong sense of community in the word of God? You say, I I don't know if Matthew 18 is enough evidence of this idea of discipline being a part of, this protection being a part of membership. Well, Galatians chapter 6 would give us the same idea. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Titus chapter 3. There are other examples of these protections laid out in the Word of God calling us to the responsible living Within the body of Christ. And church discipline, if we're going to exercise it, necessitates church membership. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. Put him out. You can't put someone out who's not been first put in. And so we can't live in a day of uh, laissez-faire, easy believism. I just want to come and coast and attend a church. Do I think you need to attend the church? Absolutely. We'll talk about that next Sunday. But there has to be more than just an attendance. There needs to be a rubbing of life. And the formality of membership formally submits one to receive that. Amen? Some of you are looking at me like, you are archaic. And you don't know what you're talking about. But that's the word of God. And we're a people who will believe and obey the word of God, regardless of what another church may do or a culture may tell us to do. We're going to be a people of the book. And that is the place to say amen. Amen. You know, the nature of sin left to itself will never lead you toward a community of faithful gospel believers. But you know what sin will always do? It'll lead you toward isolation. It will lead you away from the people of God. It will lead you away from the word of God. It will lead you to to begin to believe and and begin to accept that it's okay to play the Lone Ranger character in the the, the church. Man, I, I don't need the church. Man, I got God. I got God. I got Jesus. I prayed a prayer. I've been baptized. I really believe that if you genuinely know Jesus Christ and love Jesus Christ, you will love his people. I've pastored a church for 20-plus years in various roles. Our church members, always nice. I could tell you all kinds of stories that make make your teeth sweat. (laughs) Not here, there, somewhere else. Not here, not here. (laughs) We buried those people here. We got rid of them. No, I'm just kidding. Those deacons I was dispatching, I was telling you about it. If you love Jesus... You'll love his people, and you'll submit to his people. You really will. The problem with lone rangerism, while it may be a great concept in American culture, it's nowhere found in Scripture. On the other hand, what we do find is the continual refrain in God's Word of calling us toward relational intimacy within the body of believers known as the local church. Universal church? Absolutely. But you know what I can't have with the universal church? Intimacy. Revelation 7 is the day I get to have intimacy with the church universal. But today I don't live in Revelation 7. Today I live in the age of the church, which means I can't have intimacy and I can't have accountability and I can't have edification and I can't have all the things that I need personally and things you need personally. If I'm in this church universal, having church with Jesus in the tree stand or church with Jesus on the deck of the bass boat or having church at the mall or wherever you have church, the golf course or Walmart or, 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 or mowing your lawn. But I can have intimacy with Jesus when I'm with God's people. And I've submitted myself to God's people. And that's what I need as a pastor. But it's not just because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian first. Membership in the church is a biblical reality. You remember that opening statement? I hope it made your teeth sweat. If you call yourself a Christian but you're not a member of the church that you regularly attend, put in their red lane, you might just be going to hell. I didn't use this statement, Mark Dever's statement. I didn't write it, be mad at him. I didn't use it because I want to offend you. Man, I never want to offend you. That's not my delight. But if you're offended, I'm okay with it. Because at least you heard it. At least you've you've been placed in a position where you can maybe argue with the word of God over it. And so I use this statement to simply direct your attention to the Bible's call to submissive citizenship in the kingdom and its expression in the local church. As I carry this passport and as I travel to various places around the world, and I'm always hoping to get back, you know what it represents? Citizenship in America. And part of that citizenship is submissiveness to the governing authority. And so when you become a member of a church, this church, You're submitting yourself to the governance, the authority that God has placed upon the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven over your discipleship as an individual believer. And and then you are also not just isolated in that. You're part of that body who exercises that same authority in every other individual member's life. So we are all submitting ourselves to one another. Remember that command that I talked about earlier, that membership assumption? And so membership is all throughout the scriptures. It's inundated in the Christian experience. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, as we contemplate the role, the functions, the structures of the local church, I want you to see this morning that membership is not optional. Uh, though the, through this formal and relational commitment, we're defined as members of the kingdom of the Son. Likewise, we give and are given permission to speak those hard words to one another. What is that all for? It's for a collective sanctification. Left or right shoulder. It's not as strong as it will be. It's not as strong as it was in the past. And so it's weighing down the rest of the body. It can't always do what the things it is used to doing. But you know what happens? Because this arm's weak, this arm becomes stronger. It is a sad thing to look in the mirror right now, the difference. Sad. That's what happens in the body. When you're weak, someone else is strong. When they're weak, you're strong. And we as a body operate together. And you can't, if you want to have life, be outside of that. And so this morning, here's the questions I want you to kind of wrestle with in your mind and come to a conclusion over. This morning, are you leaning in to church membership? You say, Pastor, I'm a member. All right? I asked if you're leaning into that. I didn't ask if your name's on the roll sheet. And you pop in and pop out. But are you leaning into that? Are you submitting yourself to one another? Are you being the body that ministers to the body? Perhaps this morning you're sitting here and you've been attending for a while. You're saying, man, good night, pastor. You're really stepping on my toes. I'm comfortable just attending. What does that say about your spiritual health? If you're not willing to submit. You say, pastor, this is a new concept to me. That's awesome. Let's begin to continue this conversation, right? Let's let's think through it more, but would you be willing to just say, "I'm, I'm open to the idea of formally becoming a member of this church. And again, it's more than just your name on the roll. It's being a participant in the body of Christ. Part of worship? Yeah. Part of a small group? Absolutely. Discipling others? Absolutely. Finding a place to serve? Yes. Use your giftedness. Financially supporting the church? Yes. All of those things and so much more. But there is life in that. But if you want to be bored and you want to be miserable and you want to complain about everything, then be the person that just sits on the sideline. Right? You watch a ball game. Who are the people who are complaining about what's happening on the field? It's us that are on the sideline. We're armchair quarterbacks at a football game. Man, if I'd have done it different, yeah, right? You don't have the ability to run a 4-4. You're not on the field, buddy, all right? So if you want to get in the game, you want to get skin in the game, then you can have a say. And when you're in the game, man, I remember those days so long ago, playing in whatever sport it was I was playing. The joy, the delight, and the life that came from being on the field, part of the team a different experience than the person sitting on the sidelines. This morning, I'm glad you're here if you're not a member. I'm glad you're attending if you've been attending for a while. There's more for you. There's more. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we are grateful that you're a God who delights and desires to be in community with us sinful, a wicked, a rebellious people, and yet you pursue us all the time and you call us to yourself. And Father, this morning as we've been talking about this subject, the subject of the church and specifically membership in the church, God, I, I pray that we've been able to at least catch a glimpse of the grace that you're providing in this aspect and the gift that you're giving us and the blessing it is to be a part of the body. It's not attending. It's belonging. This morning I pray that for the members in this church, those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord, they have formally united with our church, help us to belong even more, to lean into that. In our participation, in our attendance, in our serving, Lord, in our giving and our sharing of the gospel and participating in missions and all of the things that we do as a body of Christ, may we not have the idea that that is someone else's responsibility, but, Father, it is all of our responsibility. God, I pray for those who are attending and have been attending. Even if a person is here for the very first time, may they be challenged by the Word of God to just lean into that, just investigate it a little bit more. That's all I'm asking God, as we move into this response time, it's your time. I know I've been long, but Father, in the next few minutes, may we as your church be responsive to the movement of your spirit in our lives. We ask this in the name of the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.